Open your Bibles if you've got them or your app if you've got them. If you do not have a Bible, raise your hand and one of our ushers would love to bring you a Bible. Go ahead and keep that if you need it. We're in the book of James, and so James is one of the last books in the Bible. It's, it's about here in terms of where your Bible is at, and we're actually uh, going to complete chapter 4 today, and we're moving right along. It's been a good series. It's been a hard series for many of you, including myself, um, but we believe that hard words make soft people, so we're going to read this and then pray and get into it. So, James chapter 4, verse 13 says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this, or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him or her it is sin. Let's pray. Jesus, we're opening up your word, believing that your Holy Spirit is going to accompany my words that you've helped me to prepare, and you're going to bring power and clarity to these words. This is not about crafting perfect words for your people to hear. This is about the perfect Holy Spirit taking crafted words and using them for your glory. And so, Jesus, open our hearts. Open our hearts to your truth this morning. That's our biggest problem, is that our hearts are hardened toward this. Our hearts oppose this naturally, and we want to be soft and open to them. So, Jesus, I'm praying on behalf of my friends here this morning that our hearts would be soft that we would hear these words as perhaps rebuke, but also encouragement and admonishment. We can only do this, Jesus, if you choose to will it. And so if it's your will, Jesus, would you soften our hearts and open our minds? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll tell you where we're going this morning. It's all about the plan. It's all about your plan in particular. Um, Trev Rysavi preaching a message on planning is kind of like the pot calling the kettle black. Actually, it's more like Trev talking about a sermon about planning. I'm the last person who should be talking about planning. I always say, if I'm planning out planning you, you're in trouble, right? I come from a family of planners. I don't know if you've known this about my family. I have three girls, Team Estrogen, I've affectionately called them. I love these girls. Most of them are planners. My eldest daughter's a little bit less of a planner, uh, but she still kind of likes to know where we're going. Tell you how much my family is planning. If you ever met Leslie, she's always like, what's the plan today? What's the plan? What's the plan? I don't know. We have two hours of free time. She's like, I don't care. What's the plan in those two hours? All right, so my little eight-year-old, and this is before she was eight, this is how much of a planner she is. What are you doing uh, tonight, Eve? She goes, I have to check the weather forecast. Why? Because I need to know what I'm going to wear tomorrow. So I need to check the weather forecast so then I can go into my wardrobe and dress appropriately. That's seven years old. Okay, you don't think planning's a part of my life. There it is. 
right? I'm not necessarily like this. My plan is to figure it out as we go along. That's a lot of your, uh, that's, this is kind of the circular thinker in us, except we live in the middle of a city where there's tons of engineer types that want to know where we're going. So I shouldn't be speaking to you about this issue of planning anyways. But I'm thankful because in some ways it's not really about the plan. It's the heart and the motive behind the plan that we're going to talk about this morning. Some of you have great plans. You're very good at this. You resonate with my seven-year-old. You've discipled her in some ways uh, in this. You know where you're going typically. Your favorite part of the day is when you sit down and you figure out, what am I going to do for the next week? When I introduce myself to people, often on Sunday mornings, I ask what brought them to the city, and oftentimes it's work or school. And they reveal then very quickly, in very short order, not knowing who I am, their plan for the next three to five years. A lot of people, very few people come and they go, you know what, I had no idea. I just bought a plane ticket and Calgary was the closest place. That's not you. I understand this. So I think this particular statement, that this plan, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, needs to be submitted to Jesus Christ, is an important one for us. This is an important step of discipleship because some of us, have given to Jesus our spiritual lives. We've given to him our Sunday mornings, but we have not given our calendar to him. We have not given our long-range calendar to him. We just won't have that DNA in us yet, perhaps. And so this word is going to oppose us. It's going to tell us some things, and essentially there's some great tension in this text. And here is the tension. Attention is the worldview that existed at the time in God's worldview. Okay, these two will clash. I don't know if you've noticed this. If you're not a Christian here this morning, uh, this isn't written to people that are not Christians. It doesn't mean you can't receive anything from it. It just means that you have a unique glimpse into this text. In some ways, you get to watch a family conversation that James has to a bunch of Christians. It says, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you call him your Savior, that means the one who's saved you, if you call him your Lord, which is the one who's in control, then this should be a natural response out of that. Some of you right there, you're like, you realize, I don't think I've submitted my calendar to Jesus Christ. You see, when we become Christians... We're often told that this will affect our spiritual life, but actually what some will not tell you is that it affects every part of your life. And James would say, if it doesn't affect your life, there's something going wrong here. You better investigate what you really say about what you believe. We've called this series Prove It. This is not a series that says prove it to God. This is not about proving your salvation to God. It's not about showing God how good you can really be. That's not what the book of James is about. It's about proving your faith really to yourself. You say you're a believer in Jesus. You say that he's transformed your life. James would say, hmm, what about your calendar? Let's take a look at that. So you will find that at times it will feel like I'm reading your mind. I'm not. This is the word of God and he will come into your life and the spirit of God will put some conviction in your life, and challenge you in many ways. I am greatly challenged by this, even though I wouldn't call myself a planner. And so let's get into it. 
There's two halves to this, two points essentially, which is weird. Usually preachers come up with three, but there's only really two in here. It's a short text, and somehow I still have 40 minutes worth of words to say to you. That's always my plan. But essentially, the first half of this is how you prove that your plan is of you. The first half is how you prove that your plan is of you. Some of you, essentially, you don't really know whether your plan is kind of of God or your plan is of you. These are the two points today. And the first one is about how proving that your plan is of you. Now, it seems as you jump into the text, it seems kind of abrupt, especially if you haven't been reading James. But if you've been reading James, it's not that abrupt. James, in some ways, kind of reads like bumper stickers, words of wisdom. He's very short, very to the point. He's blunt. He's that guy in the office or that girl in the office. Super blunt. Says it how it is. And so it's almost as if he's developing an imaginary. I I don't think he's actually talking about an account that had happened because it seems way too broad for that. But it could possibly be. Remember, the context that he speaks into is an economically driven culture. Sound familiar? Many of you, you did not come here because Calgary seemed like the warmest place on the planet. And so you moved here. Some of you grew up here, you have no choice. Your family's here, so you're stuck here. You love it. The majority of us, though, are driven by the economics in our city. So he says bluntly, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and town, such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Wow. I mean, that sounds like it was right out of Calgary. Come now, you who say, this is my plan. I'm going to go to four years of university, going to get a job in marketing, because there's lots of jobs in marketing. Going to work my way in the top. In fact, I probably won't have to work my way in the top. In my mind, I'll be so good at what I do that I can probably level skip and enter into management within the first two to three months. Then I'll make about $10,000 more per year than everyone else in the country. And when I'm done that and make enough money, I'll move to Vancouver where I want to settle down. I've heard that style of plan before. Some of you, it's not related to Vancouver, but everything else is true. Here's my plan. Here's my plan. How do you know if that plan is of you or not? James says it very quickly. You do not know. I love that. How do you know whether that's your plan's going to work out? You know, it sounds like a parent talking to a university student, doesn't it? University student comes home and, you know, they're a month and a half into their brand new degree and suddenly they know how to take over the world. Just ask them. And the parents are like, what if your plan doesn't work? What if, what if you meet a girl? What if you meet a boy and everything changes? Oh, that doesn't fit into my plan. That's what James says right away. You don't know what tomorrow will bring as if you you have to tell people actually this. You know, we're going to have a hard time even knowing that our plan is of us because we live in a culture that constantly tells you, you are the most important thing around. 
I mean, this is the bumper sticker version of kind of the wisdom from James. But if you look at the bumper stickers around you, what do you hear? You are the center of, your, of the universe. Be all you can be. There's no bumper stickers that says, help someone else. Empty yourself of you and commit yourself to a great cause. There's very, very few of those kinds of things being said. We're immersed in this culture that's about us and what's in it for us. And we are very much a part of our culture. And so what, what, what is James possibly speaking into? With some merchants in town. Some merchants in town. It's very, very common. Some business people, so to speak. Saying, what? come now, you who say, I'm going I'm to make a lot of money and I'm going to do it this way. That doesn't sound like a bad, evil thing to do, does it? I mean, when we don't have that, sometimes it's like, maybe you should think about more than just today. What's, what, what, some, some would read this text and say, oh, this is a shot against capitalism, isn't it? Is, is that what's going on here? James is not a capitalist. That's not it at all. He's not even saying don't make a plan. He's not saying don't make a plan. He's not saying profit is wrong. Some would say, you know, James is, is kind of money heavy. It talks and speaks a lot about money. And so there's this sense in which James speaks really negative about making money. And the church typically goes one of two ways. Either they never talk about money and you try to make as much of it, or, or they talk about money as the root of all evil. Some of you have heard this. Money is the root of all evil. And you actually say that's from the Bible. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus said, the money is the root of all kinds of evil, which it is. But money is not the problem. Some of us are afraid to make money and to pursue making good money because we've kind of bought into the opposite of James. James isn't saying either. He's not saying don't make a plan. He's not make, saying don't make a profit. This church is a recipient of generous people who have made profit. I mean, we have things, even though some of us kind of look around and go, well, we don't have much. We have more than lots of churches we have a full-time pastor. There's lots of churches across the world that can't afford a full-time pastor or even a place to meet. It's not wrong to make money. So what is James saying? He's simply saying this. All plans and all profits must come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That word lordship you may not have heard for, but it essentially means submissive to. Right? If you watch an old movie and you know, someone comes up in battle armor and they say, what do you want me to do now, my Lord? You may have heard that. It means my superior. You're my superior. You're the one in charge of me. I'm your servant. I serve at your pleasure. So when we submit our plan and our profit to Jesus' lordship, what we're saying is you're my superior. My plan and my profit is yours. I am a mere steward of this. How do you prove this is of you? When what Jesus has to say has no bearing on your plan or your profit. That's when you know it's of you. When you do not first think about what does Jesus want me to do 
versus what do I want to do and how can Jesus help me accomplish my plan, you'll know the difference. And some of you, this is your mantra. Here's my plan. Jesus, I pray that you can fulfill my plan because my plan will make me happy and money. So if you can just send your spirit, give a little boost to my plan, that'd be great. Thank you. Amen. Then you're confused when it doesn't get answered. Or worse, when your plan just goes down the toilet. I mean, is most of our counseling these days about people with destroyed plans? How many of you could say, over the last two years, things didn't really go as I expected them to go? Anyone? That's the last two years? Anyone? No one? I mean, that's how life is. I know almost... Everyone's story that I know is like that. Hey, I'm not upset, but it didn't go as I thought. My plan was this. I wanted to do this. I thought this would happen. I thought I'd get married. I thought I wouldn't make it. I thought I'd be here. Didn't realize I'd have to move. I thought I was going to move. I didn't want to. It's just kind of constant, and James just brings it up. He, he, he does it in, in, a, in a very typical proverbial wisdom way. If I go back to uh, the book of Proverbs, which is essentially kind of the, the wisdom book of the Bible, Proverbs is. James feels a lot like this. What, what do we see in the book of Proverbs? The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You think, you, you think, like, this is how I'm going to go, but actually it's, it's the Lord. No incident that the word Lord is used there. Superior. This is what you think you're going to do. This is your superior's direction for your life. That's Proverbs 16.9. What else does Proverbs say? Proverbs says, many are the plans in the mind of of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Make all the plans you want, but in the end, who's going to get their way? Who's going to fulfill their plan? It's the Lord, a.k.a. God, a.k.a. Jesus the King. I mean, that's all James is really saying. He said, come now, you who just kind of flippantly make their plans. And what does he say is really the root of it? We find, actually, if you look closely in the text, uh, it I won't get into it because it's the second half of the text and I'm going to deal with that. But it says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. All As it is, you boast in your arrogance. So what is he saying there? He's saying the root of this is you're arrogant. Now, no one ever calls us on this in our culture. No one ever says, wow, you're really confident in your plans. Where's the room for someone else to speak into this? Most people say, you can do whatever you put your mind to. I remember watching an award ceremonies, which, by the way, if you want to know uh, if I'm cynical or not or sarcastic, I think my sarcasm and my cynicalness comes out at incredible doses when I watch award ceremonies. So if you ever want to hang out and see how really sinful I am, come over at like the Academy Awards or something like that. I remember one musician getting up there, thank you for this award, which goes to show that if you believe in God, you can do whatever you want to do. 
what's the problem with that statement? A, it's false, but B, it's arrogant. Really? If you put your mind to it, you can do whatever you want to do. My seven-year-old sees through this. She's like, I can't be a turtle. It's not true. If you work hard at something, there's a possibility that you can accomplish your goal, yes. If you work hard, generally the principle is what? You'll find return, yes, that's a good principle. You believe in God, you can do whatever you want? No, that's false, that's evil, that's arrogance. Those are totally different things. But because our culture kind of steps so closely to that wisdom, we tend to listen to that wisdom. I had a great conversation last week. Someone said, you know, it's refreshing because 99% of what we hear, you never hear on Sunday morning or, or the opposite. We hear complete opposite all week long. It's nice to come where at least there's a little bit of opposite from what we're doing. Yes, this is why we need God's word to speak to us because no one else will say this to you. Who's going to call you on your arrogance? Who's going to say your plan is of you, but maybe a, a close loved one, a parent, a friend perhaps? Yes. But here's our chance to say, don't let someone else do it. Hear God's rebuke to you. His plan is the one that's most important. What's the word picture that James uses to help us so much? It's actually found in, in verse uh, 14 there. If you look closely at 14. What is your life? I love this. I get James. I'm like, when I get to heaven, I want to see James. Because I'm like, man, you knew how to just say it like it is. What is your life? It's almost like he's like, come on. What's your life? You tell me. Here's what it is. I won't let you tell me. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. <laughs> it's great. You're a mist. You seen mist? You pay attention to the mist in your life? No. No. Why? It's not there very long. It's an interesting word picture. I mean, we were in Vancouver for the week, came home on Friday night, late Friday night, and there was a fog over top of Calgary. It was one of the most unique things I had seen for a long time. You could see super clearly up until the bottom of the Calgary Tower, and then the top was gone. So it just looked like a weird tower, believe me. I was like, oh, isn't that strange? And I immediately thought, that'll be burnt off by tomorrow morning. Gone. No one even knows that it happened. Gone. No effect. Nothing. No one will remember it. That's what he says, this is what your life is like. You and I think we're so important that we're world changers. And in some ways, James is like, do you understand that you don't have a lot of time here? In the broad scheme of things, do we have to say it this openly, this bluntly? Me as your pastor, this is what I'm telling you as our people whom I love. Your time is short. Your plan is not going to last for forever. My plan will not last for forever. The plan that we had to start this church lasted about 0 .03 seconds until we had to change it. 
We're not in as big a control of things as we think we are. And we find this out when it's ripped away from us and we get angry. I know this has generally been my response is anger. It's usually what happens when God kindly and lovingly removes something we've been worshiping falsely away from us and says, why don't you worship a real Savior, me? But we get angry about this generally. We respond angrily. And this is what has happened to us. And we're confused why we're bitter and angry and frustrated and our prayer lives aren't going anywhere. We're not growing in our faith. And perhaps one of the reasons is, James says, you're forgetting you're a mist, a vapor. You could translate it smoke, right? Smoke, vapor, mist, burns away. Smoke, it's gone. Let's get practical. This is not a condemnation, friends, on life insurance. This is not saying don't set money aside for your retirement. This is not to say don't sit down and think long range. Some of us actually need to do this. Think long range. What James is saying is don't do it without the Lord Jesus Christ in mind, if you're a disciple of his. That's the first thing. One of the great challenges in our church has been reaching in, in the urban core. And, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this in the past. We haven't really talked about this lately. But I'm amazed at the amount of people who buy a house without any thought of where God wants them to live in the city. Shocking. Say, so what do you mean? You don't believe in people buying houses? Absolutely. We would buy one in a second if we could. All I'm saying is, have you ever considered that perhaps this is a purchase God wants you to wants him to be in charge of and not you? And maybe the defining factor isn't your salary, but the call of God in your life. What's that about? It's a lordship issue. It's a control issue. Who's in control? And so what's your worldview? Is your worldview a lot of you? It's the same old thing that James has been talking about the whole time. And if it's about you, here's what's going to happen to your plan. Insert toilet flushing sound. Eventually. Some of us, this manifests itself like we have a plan B for Christianity. If Christianity doesn't work out, we've got plan B. We'll figure something else out. And here's the thing about Christianity. It's not one of many possibilities. It's the possibility. Jesus didn't say, if things don't work out, give me a call. I'll see what I can do. He says, if someone does not die to themselves... And follow me with their whole heart, mind, and soul. They don't belong in my kingdom. Does that sound like a Starbucks welcome, how's your day going sort of moment? Or does that sound like a serious call? Is he serious about this lordship issue? Again, if you're not a Christian here this morning, this isn't for you yet. But this is what's coming. The whole point of James is to help people grow up in their faith, to help them mature, not to make them comfortable, obviously, but to encourage them 
Because if this is serious, what's your worldview? What's your plan B? And here, actually, is what James would say to that. Your worldview is his worldview. You don't have a plan B. He's just your plan A. And if it doesn't work out, well, as one other of the writer of the Bible said, then we, we're the most to be pitied of all people. He has no backup plan for this. Some of you may know our good friends, Lynn and Elroy Seneker. Lynn and Elroy were part of our church plant. They apprenticed with us for almost a year, or I guess over a year. We actually uh, believe strongly in uh, starting other churches that are gospel-preaching churches. We especially have an affection for those that start them in the urban core because we, we, we think we need hundreds of churches down here, just like you need hundreds of pubs and coffee shops in the urban core. We need hundreds of churches to saturate our city with the gospel. We sent them out with people. We sent them out with money. We encouraged them. We continued to support them. They launched their church, and three months later, Lynn is diagnosed with a very unusual form of cancer that threatens to shut their church down. And I know without a doubt, if Lynn was here today, she would say, people, you're a mist. The doctors tell her she has less than four years to live if everything goes right. We're praying for a miracle. We're st still praying for healing. My point is not to talk about healing or even prayer, but a reminder that I think if she was here, she would say, you're a mist. You don't have as much time as you think you do. Life is short. Their plan is ruined. But God's isn't. Because God's plan was to do something miraculous. And strangely enough, their church began to grow as a result of this. Go figure. Any of you, your plan is to get cancer in order to grow your church? Anyone? No. That's not a plan that we come up with. But that's the kinds of plans that our sovereign God in charge of the universe comes up with. Because what does that do? Does that bring glory to Lynn and Elroy? No. It brings glory to God, brings glory to Jesus. They have a proclamation point that they never had before in their neighborhood as a direct result of her getting terminal cancer. Are you ready for that kind of plan? I think James helps prepare us for those kind of plans because how does he continue? How does he continue? Proving your plan is of God. Proving your plan is of God. So that's the, the, how to know your plan is of you. How do you know your plan is of God? First of all, the second half is when you make a plan, you simply submit it to Jesus. When you make a plan, submit it to Jesus. I hesitated saying, you know, before you make a plan, submit to Jesus. You could go either way. All the way through, you need to submit to Jesus because Jesus is, is the plan. It's okay to make plans. It's okay to mark stuff out in your calendar. It's okay to say this is the direction we'd like to go. This is the education I'd like to get. This is the money I'd like to set aside. This is who I'd like to marry. This is how many kids I want to have. Those things are excellent things. But here's what James says you need to do if you follow Jesus. 
This is what I think, Jesus. What do you think? This is what I think, Jesus. What do you think? Jesus, you have my full permission to change my plan whenever you want to. Jesus, you have full permission to tinker with this in any way, shape, or form. You have my permission to change my heart desires. It happens. Jesus answers these things. I remember we left the city of Calgary because we didn't like the city. It was an unsafe place to raise a family. Does that sound like me? For those of you who know me, that sounds opposite to what I'd say now. What happened? My plan went down the toilet. His plan was to say, I'm going to create in you someone who actually loves living in the city, whose children thrive in the neighborhood. And that's exactly what happened. That wasn't me changing my mind. That was Jesus Christ who began to rule and reign supreme in my life, who I said, Jesus, not my will, yours be done. I learned that the hard way. I learned that the hard way. Disciples of Jesus put an asterisk next to every one of their plans that says, Jesus, you have the ability to change this. That's what it means. Jesus, you have the ability to change this. I learned this the hard way, that this is how Someone who God rules and reigns supreme needs to act. Says instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and do that. This isn't a lack of faith. So I'm like, don't pray. If God wills, you can do this. That's not very full of faith. That's not true. It means I have faith that Jesus will do what he wants to do. But what I want is completely submissive to him. So here we are. We're in Calgary. This is like eight years ago, nine years ago. We're in Calgary, desperately want to get out. We want to move to a small, comfortable town. We did, town of Bowdoin. Some of you know this story. We loved it. What I was looking for was a place where people would just kind of love on us, easy. I know, like low expectations, right? A church that loves you. People loved us. I could preach the word. Went out there. They loved us. I mean, they loved us like no one loved us. Such a unique situation for us. Small town, Alberta, rural, outside enough of the big city that we could still visit my parents or my, my in-laws. Preached the word, enjoyed it, things were going well. But God was stirring something in me that was hard to deny, and that was... I felt a growing sense of call, of desperation to move to the city and plant churches and gather men. I didn't know what to do with it. I was afraid of people because I love them. But one of the things, mistakes I made was as I began to get comfortable, what I began to say to people was, we love it here. We think we'll be here for like 20 years. Then we got more comfortable, maybe it's 25. We said, maybe we'll retire here. My daughter was one, it was comfortable, we were paying back debt as a pastor. Who does that, by the way? Low cost of living, friends, people constantly telling me to take more time off. I mean, we had it right. 
And then God stirred and changed our plan. And you know what? The one regret I have from that is I told people that we're going to be here for 25 years without saying, if the Lord wills. And people brought that back to me and they said, oh, but you said you would be here for 25 years. You said you would be here for forever. You lied to us. And it was hard. Because I said, I I didn't lie. God changed my plan. What I should have done is simply said, if the Lord wills, we will stay here for a long time. So that's actually the truth. And it was painful to have to admit. It took a long time to heal from that because why? Because I was arrogant about my plan. That's why. We were comfortable. Life was great. Things weren't going bad. We didn't move from that ministry setting because things went south. That's what was so confusing for so many people is we're just feeling called. And they're like, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. We just feel called. Well, what do we do? Nothing. We just feel called. Well, why? What happened? I didn't submit my plan to the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. See, I'd gone through a lot of conversions, but one of the conversions I hadn't gone through was the conversion of committing my calendar to the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately saying, if the Lord wills, you will do this. We will do this. If the Lord wills, we will do this. So what else does he say that I think we can help? get help from? Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin. Now that sounds like an add-on for some of you. But this is it. If you believe this is what Jesus is talking, to now not submit your life and your calendar to Jesus Christ is sin. Strong word. This is not advice is what James is saying. He's not advising you, if you want things to go well for you, let the Lordship of Christ take over your calendar. He's saying, if you know that Jesus Christ is the Savior, if you know he has taken away your sin, you've believed in him and trusted in him to take your sin away. You've trusted in him to lead your life and give you direction. And you've gone through that conversion, but you've held on a particular part of your heart that has not yet been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's got a lot of dates on it because it's a calendar. And here's what James says. If you know this and you continue, you're going to be living in sin. He calls it out. You're going to be living in sin. And sin is going to prevent you from hearing God's Spirit. And sin is going to harden your heart. And as he later will say, sin is going to interfere with your prayer life. And so I said, for the sake of your prayer life and the freedom of your life, give your calendar to Jesus Christ. Make him not simply the Lord and Savior of your spiritual life, your heart, but your calendar as well. Come to Jesus. Confess your sin. Some of you, we're, we're going to be taking communion in a little bit, and there's always an opportunity for confession here to say, I have not com- confessed this. I've not admitted. I think I'm in charge here. 
You have not admitted, I act like I'm in charge. You have not admitted, I think I'm in charge and I'm not. There's going to be an opportunity for you to confess your sin in order that you may receive grace from Jesus. Because Jesus says, I give grace to the humble, but I actually oppose the proud. If you don't think you need me, I won't come. That's what he says. So I'll call the band up so that I can give us some time. And as I said, this is symbolic for us. If you're not a Christian, you don't understand this at all, here's what it is. It's a special symbolic meal that's given to church families to remind them of who actually is in charge and who actually is the Savior. It's Jesus Christ. We don't have him in physical body anymore. He's somewhere in heaven so the Bible describes it. What we have is a reminder of what he has done for us and who he is. And so that's what this is. It's bread and cup. The bread symbolizes who he is. He was a person. He was a human, fully human, and yet fully divine. God become man. Not man who became a God. God who became a man. So that he could live the perfect life that we are trying so hard to live but just can't quite make it. And so that he could die the death that ultimately we will have and we deserve. And he says, if you will trust in me, I will exchange my life for yours through faith. And I will wipe away all of your sin. And how does he do that? He sacrifices for us. Not like sacrifices a few of his dollars, not sacrifices a little bit of his time, but 100% of his humanity dies in our place, for us. He shed blood, which is the cup. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to be reminded of this and take this opportunity to say, you have received a great grace. Confess your sin to Jesus in order that you might receive his grace. This won't absolve you of your sin. Jesus absolves you of your sin. But if you're not yet a Christian, you say, can I still go forward? I would say, this isn't for people who do not yet believe. It's not a symbol for those people. Not as a way to separate them, but as a way to clearly say, this is for people who actually believe this. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I would say, now that you've seen a little bit of a glimpse, what would hold you back from this? What would hold you back? Trust today in Jesus Christ. Put your faith today in Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day you've heard this spiel over and over again, but today is the day you say, I plan on putting my faith in Jesus Christ and submitting all of my life to him. And if that's the case, then do come and partake. So Tim, lead us.